Welcome everyone to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Come in, Pete. Come in, Blackbird. Come in, Raven. Are you there, Pete? He ain't coming. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 106, The Judas Goat, is brought to you by Burgers Again? Lay off your widowed mom, jerky. Pete, we want to thank everybody who's been listening to not just the Punisher podcast, but everything that we've been doing lately. It's been so busy, so fun. This is the seventh consecutive day of podcasting. It doesn't get much more fun than this. How are we going to celebrate tomorrow, Pete? Uh, tomorrow, we will view, live tweet, uh, and possibly podcast Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 501 and 502, uh, the fifth season debut. Uh, the only reason we're non-committal on the podcasting is we just don't know if we're going to have the wind in our sails at 10 o'clock at night to give you those two episodes and turn that around again on, on the seventh day here. This is a fantastic geek record. Seventh consecutive days of podcasting. Uh, not like I'm not looking to extend the streak, but again, we're going to play that by ear. The latest you will get that will be sometime uh, earlier in the day on Saturday. Absolutely. And want to take a moment to, uh, to tip our hats to a couple of pals who made us aware of a uh, little technical issue with some of the podcasts lately. Good news. We got William Shatner involved. He looked out the window. He saw the gremlin on the wing. <laughs> he took care of it. And uh, we should be good to go. So thank you, dear listeners, for caring enough whenever there are those little moments. Well, let's run this episode down, Matt. Pete, Frank dreams of a peaceful Thanksgiving with the Liebermans and the Castles, though the dream turns into a nightmare as masked soldiers kill everyone. Frank awakens, hearing Gunnar Henderson's final words, asking to bury him. Micro ultimately goes to Curtis, saying that Frank is dying. After the title card, Curtis performs battlefield medicine as he takes the arrow out the back of Frank's shoulder. It is visceral and gritty. Micro continues to watch his family from afar, seeing how his son Zach is transforming into a bully who indeed took that skateboard and now is punching his sister hard in the face for being another rat in a family of narcs. Zach's words, not mine. Micro also hears a radio call. Blackbird for Raven, are you there? Frankie, over and over. Later, over a microwave dinner, both men talk about Thanksgiving's past, with Micro speaking half in present tense, half in past tense. Frank has a lengthy monologue about his wife, her cooking, her dancing, her smile. He mourns the loss of that family and his other family, the Marines. In Curtis's veterans group, O'Connor claims how difficult his Vietnam service was, though it did earn him a commendation and from the vice president to boot. His point is that America doesn't value its soldiers or Americans in general who are told to get on the back of the line. Later on, O'Connor and Lewis are pamphleting outside a New York City courthouse. Though clearly allowed to do so by law, Lewis knows his rights, chapter and verse, and NYPD officer tells them to move along. O'Connor does, Lewis doesn't, standing his ground and ultimately gets arrested on fake charges trumped up by the officer. Lewis is ultimately bailed out, though not by O'Connor, 
but rather by Curtis, the same Curtis who has dug into uh, O'Connor's past and says that the latter's tales of Vietnam service are all a lie. The medal from the VP included. Lewis eventually confronts O'Connor with a fight ensuing and O'Connor being savagely, savagely stabbed to death by Lewis. Elsewhere, Madani is, well, still enjoying herself with Billy Russo, though not always face-to-face. Intimacy's <laughs> over, her emotional wall goes back up, though Russo accidentally, on purpose, finds Madani's Homeland Security file on Frank Castle. In due course, she's made aware of Gunnar Henderson's death and tours the scene of the crime with Stein. She quickly decodes the fact that there were two men attacked by a strike force. She wants the second blood sample checked against Castle ASAP. Madani ultimately meets Billy at the New York City waterfront, saying sparingly that she's looking for a very alive Frank Castle. Billy checks in with Curtis, who continues to play off, uh, having not seen Frank since his death. Uh, he feeds information back to Frank and Micro, though, Curtis does, and we believe that these Marine brothers are truly on the same page. Eventually, Billy and Frank reunite in a scene that is heartfelt and in no way tips its hand as to the episode's final scene. Billy offers Frank a way out, hop on a boat tonight, new social security number, new ID, leave it all behind. Frank seems to take him up on it, even stopping by Sarah's house to suggest that the family is about to turn a corner. But that night, at the boat, Frank doesn't arrive, and Billy seemingly reports back, back to Agent Orange. Pete, where do you want to start? Who is the bad guy in this episode who broke our heart that there's no hope amongst the, the brotherhood of soldiers? Well, let's start. You know that I like to go chronologically. Let's start with O'Connor, Matt. Um, a liar, a coward. He certainly pays for it. Um, did he pay too much of a price under the rule of law? I think we can agree that he did, but boy, if we don't feel kind of good about it, you know, (laughs) it would be nice if we had no more veterans of, of war to, to speak of, but given that we do. Um, given that there are still wars fought, I, I think that we can hopefully all agree that how soldiers are treated upon returning home has has shifted and shifted uh, in a positive way from how Vietnam soldiers were treated to veterans of more more recent uh, engagements. Uh, they, for the most part, follow orders which are just, and if the orders are not just, it is those giving the orders, not those following them out, who should be punished. Um so I like that there's that whiff there where he really is reflecting this Vietnam uh, veteran experience. That said, he is inauthentically representing this thing that few of us really understand. And I certainly, yeah. I wouldn't even say us, the few people, not you and I, Pete, understand what it's like to see combat, to live like that uh, for the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, purely from a dramatic, this is all pretend, this is all for my entertainment I'm okay the Connors could put at the end of the episode. I mean, he completely manipulated Lewis. And now upon, uh, you know, Lewis getting arrested, uh, O'Connor flaking on him. I mean, you, you could see it happening in slow motion in the way that he was moving away from the cop. And he, even the liar knows he's in too far 
you know, over his head and um, to ultimately be called out on the star that he got from the, the vice president and he didn't know the name of the airbase. Oh, well, you know, I, I forgot and da, 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 da. Okay. Again, not worthy of his murder, but certainly worthy of our scorn. And I think thereby his place in our pile of visual villains here, Matt, particularly, and you know, I hesitate to, to make this metaphorical. We'll just go with the literal that's shown the fact that he's willing to lie about this precious thing, which is the, mm-hmm. the burden that our service members bear through their service, through, through the, the blood, sweat, and tears that they that they shed. The fact that he's going to lie in order to manipulate those around him to advance the pamphleting cause or the second an agenda, cause, yeah, an, a, that, an agenda that's not a military agenda. It, it's correct. so odious. It cheapens that experience. You want your Second Amendment rights, you have your Second Amendment rights, okay? And and that's a debate for another day. But to use what veterans go through in the theater of war long after in terms of those after effects and then the adjustment process to use that to advance. Well, you know, I, I, I want this and you know, it's our, our God given right. Pump the brakes there, buddy. And let's not forget too. It also was, you know, the wrong kind of people are getting, getting advancements in, in, in America. That was part of his agenda too, to be quite yeah. honest. It's, it's a, it's a racial, ethnic, religious, uh, point that he has too. So it yes. turns out he's just an angry guy who doesn't like that the world is changing and he's lying about this sacred thing of service to, to, to the country to advance his, his cause. Particularly unctuous when Curtis, as the group leader, is an African-American and the guy is written and played directly as a racist, as a homophobe, as all these things that rational people know. Wow. You know, this guy's got a lot of anger. And here's the end result. He had anger about things not because of what he endured for war, just because he was angry. And I think that's why if we've just spent the last four minutes talking about O'Connor, we're probably going to spend half of that talking about the, the, the villainy of Lewis. He did the worst thing in this episode. And we could talk in a moment how the episode in no way shies away from making this a brutal murder to watch. But it's with this context of this kid gave a lot of himself in active service and he came back mm-hmm. not right as i've said in previous episodes you know we the we the the society that rushed him too back uh, too quickly back into society we bear some burden um you know to me he's he's less villainous than o'connor even though lewis did the did the deed of murder and that's where i think the Support systems that we have for veterans continue to need to be bolstered, um, particularly when it comes to the psychological needs. This is a damaged person. He's dug a foxhole in his backyard. The, the idea that there is a veterans group and, and not some kind of professional setting, you know, what Curtis is doing is is laudable. 
but it's not as if this is a clinical setting, that this is happening in a Walter Reed, that he's meeting with a psychologist, that he is under medical care. And he clearly needs it. He nearly shot his father. He could have maybe killed a, a, a passerby. Uh, he's a loose cannon that he even, you know, yes, what the police officer does there is very clearly wrong. Um, and are there cases where that goes on? It's the old, you know, oh, I pulled you over because, uh, you know, you don't have the license plate on uh, the, the back of your car. But, psh, oh, look at that. Now you have a, a blinker light out. Um, you know, that kind of thing on another level here. Like you, you just reached for my gun. Um, and even O'Connor knows what's about to go down <laughs> is, is what makes that even more powerful. But, um, it, it's crime of passion. Yes. But at the same time, he needs help. Um, and you just wonder where this is going to go down the road. And I think there's a link, uh, thematically speaking, between what he's gone through and what one of our other villains is going through. Before we leave Lewis entirely, I like that they present he who is so unbalanced. I like that they present him with such nuance to be able to fully explain his First Amendment right to be there doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. the camera choice is even part of it showing, you know, they are indeed not blocking anyone. There are no cars. There's no group of 20. Um, and I'll layer on one other First Amendment thing here. We've talked in the past about uh, some of the Marvel Netflix depictions of the NYPD. You know, there's the crooked cop in, uh, in Jessica Jones, for example. Um, I like that marvel netflix uh, as these overall stories they tell the story they want to tell is there a tax kickback uh for filming in new york yes there is but it's not coming with such great strings attached that you can't you know oh you have a dirty cop who arrests a guy for you know for for um that shouldn't have been arrested in this episode oh right. well there goes all the money so it's pete it's first amendment sharing all around yeah, the mayor's office of film and television is a super secretive organization. They do not speak publicly. Um, they they shut down your your street. Uh, they can shut down your neighborhood if need be, if it's a production that warrants it. And again, the the playing of of ball with things like that. But I think they're very fair in the creative license that they allow. I mean, listen, bad cops are part of storytelling. It's a trope. Um, of course that is to not say that all cops are bad. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Lewis would not be in the place he goes to without that experience of, of going to jail to move that character forward, unfortunately in the wrong way. But Matt, let's shift gears. Let's shift to a possible future Lewis, that of Zach Lieberman. Yeah, to see not just the bullying, which I in no way want to condone, uh, and I don't want to say, oh, what they call bullying nowadays, it's what tough kids were you know, back in right. the day. He's stealing another kid's skateboard. The fact that the, the, the name of the kid, who I don't have in front of me, but it was, uh, I, I believe, Indian sounding, um, adds to some suggestion there as you're saying pete of this growing kind of anger and whatnot but i mean the rage with which 
I mean, the rage with which he punches his sister in the face. Yeah. I mean, kudos on the production for making it seem so real. I have no doubt that these are two adorable child actors. No one was actually hurt, blah, blah, blah. Right. But rarely do you see a kid get one kid smack another. If you want to do a storyline of, you know, the abusive parent and whatnot, I think we've seen those TV episodes elsewhere. But that was that was one of the more brutal things I've seen because it's kid on kid violence. Yeah. I mean, boosting Dinesh's skatebird is uh, is one thing, Matt, as I posited in the in the last podcast. And it was blocked in such a way like that ain't his skateboard and it doesn't take a skate rat like uh, old Skate Pete over here to know that. Yes, I'm a 42 year old skateboarder. But hitting his sister in the face, and like you said, kudos to the production for selling that. I I winced, and I went back, and I'm like, he did not really do that. I know it's acting, but he just hit his sister across the face. And then he goes on to say that this is a family of snitches and traitors. So the, the loathing of his father, and that his father has to watch this removed – can't do anything about it and you've got frank as the sometimes surrogate father who's disciplined his son earlier in this season uh yeah it was a particularly brutal thing um zach lieberman he's a he's a serious villain i've got to worry about him becoming a a a lewis or uh an o'connor or a rollins this episode made me realize that the writing for this season, while it's taking place in the shared MCU and so on and so forth, this is maybe the first time that they've set set a story, and, and I mean this with a writerly flourish, not literally, but they've set this story in our world. I mean, there are O'Connors out there. There are Lewis's out there. There are Zach's out there. I don't know that there's Frank Castle out there with a cool bulletproof vest with a skull on it and i don't know that there's you know daredevils with uh radar vision etc etc but this feels so real because it's so real it's authentic and that you present this case and you draw a character i mean listen he's he's been cast rather one note to this point you know sulking playing the video game not we don't see him interacting with the rest of the family ever in a positive light um and now it's now it's paying off you know it's it's been that slow burn oh where'd that skateboard come from you know uh the the sulkiness and now full-on you know the mother asking is 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 this what it is now you're a bully that she didn't believe the other parent and now to see it with her own eyes and to see him strike his sister, somebody who is widowed at her wits end. Um, and again, with Frank occasionally around, but it, not as if it's, you know, Pete Castiglione's uh, responsibility to uh, toughen Zach up if need be. So yeah, particularly tough to watch, but, appreciated matt i dare say you and i have known a zach or two 
That certainly is true, Pete. I'll tell you, I, I think we've been lucky to not know anybody of the ilk of uh, Billy Russo, at least as as is revealed at the end of the episode here. Certainly, I don't think we've come across any uh, Agent Oranges. And uh, Pete, it's a it's a it's a heartbreaking moment when you realize yeah. that Billy Russo, who's been so affable, who's been you know, I got I got no problem if you serve and you come back and then you start a business. In, in the business of war making or security or wherever you want to call that line. Look, there's trouble out there. You want to make a buck off it while providing great training and extra security and whatever. You know, I know in the real world, sometimes shenanigans goes on with those private right. contractors, but I got no beef with Billy Russo. And it was just heartbreaking to find out Frank's Marine brother can't be trusted. We wanted to, you know, you go back and listen to these episodes. He's so affable you want to like him even with the things that Frank teases him about his appearance and the suits and everything else. We want to like him. I think it's, you know, both of us having consumed Westworld and having loathed that character, you never ever like him. Um, as the, uh, the future brother-in-law, uh, in the way he's presented and here, uh, we want to like him. We want to like him. We see him with Madani as tough as some of that stuff and the, and the way it's kind of moving forward can be to, uh, to watch, um, you know, it's like, all right, it's, it's Billy, it's Billy Russo. He's, he's reaching out to, uh, to Frank here. Nope. Hanging by the docks, produces the gun, gets in the car and there he is with Rollins. And much like the cop thing, this is a trope, Matt. Has has there been somebody on TV who returns from war in this new – it's not a soldier of fortune age, but this private security uh, consultant age of the last you know, 15, 16 years where uh, they haven't turned out to be bad or up to no good? Well, uh, I would agree with that sentiment in, in, in recent memory. It occurs to me, you go back a generation, the private contractor coming back doing, doing good. I mean, it's essentially the A team minus the, you know, they're on the run aspect. Right. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's like, here we are the flip side of the flip side of that. This is an episode as I was watching it, I was feeling so down and I was like, is there something going on like outside this episode? Am I tired? Is there like, like, why am I feeling this way? And it's just a am certain point. Flu? Yeah, exactly. Is it, is it just the, the hustle and bustle of the holiday season? It's like, this is an episode. It doesn't have in your face awful things. This is not, you know, oh, and the child died. This is not, oh, it turns out Papa, had, Papa ran away. It's not these things, but it's just character after character madani can't connect with people because she puts up this wall in retrospect and this isn't quite villainy perhaps but you know is she with billy a to serve a physical need and while she's at it she's going to f him the other way by trying to get information out of him or trying to get her guy you know she doesn't she doesn't connect on a on a on a emotionally vulnerable level billy it appears is not connecting with frank in an honest way curtis is willing to help to a certain degree but he can't connect with his brother in arms billy lewis o'connor every single person in this episode sarah they're all drenched in this quiet sorrow that was yeah that was rubbing off on me 
Yeah, it, it's a downer of an episode, but I think the best one we've podcast yet. And I said that about the previous one. So, you know, they're topping themselves. I mean, Matt, this was an episode where we got the first F word in Marvel cinematic history. And we got it a couple times. Wow. <laughs> Pete, I guess I was so down. I didn't even I didn't even hear them. I was to, to we me made it was history. Just... We had the we had the love scene. I'm I'm putting that delicately because I don't think there was a lot of love that was being made in the previous episode. We get a follow up here that's in no way as racy. Uh but yeah, uh Micro earns a distinction as uttering the first ever F word in the entire 200 plus episodes of Marvel cinematic uh, TV and the movies. There's never been an F word in one of the movies. Well, uh, it, I, I, I'm just amazed by these six episodes. You know, where's the, where's this supposed, uh, what is it? The Netflix bloat. I mean, these yeah, episodes I, have I been think... slow, but, but I mean, you look at the penultimate scene here where we're in Micro's garage just looking at the world of micro realizing that this is either the really cool punisher garage or it's a gun wall a crappy yeah. van the dirty monitors he's watching his family he's watching frank this is a prison and the show doesn't speed through it because it wants you to feel awful about this situation but not beat you over the head with it yeah and uh this was the last one that critics received um, prior to the, the series coming to Netflix in total. And I completely agree with you. The, the bloat is not here. I don't know what you're watching. If you consider quiet contemplative scenes bloat, well then, you know, we need to have a discussion about that. Um, have there been some things that could have been shaved down? Sure. But I don't think there's been excessive storylines. Everything that's been here has mattered. Does that happen towards the further end of this series? Well, we'll talk about that as that goes on. But, you know, here Rollins showing up in that final scene with Billy, and I, I think it leads directly into theories, Matt. Why would a brother in arms of Frank, somebody he says in this episode he would trust with his life, yet holds back on immediately contacting, why would he be in this with uh rollins with agent orange i hope for the best which is still pretty awful which is anvil's got to get contracts from somewhere you want to tick off the you know somebody who's high enough at the cia to a be running these black ops but also b potentially be a v i don't know how many deputy directors the cia has um but but he's going to be that high level uh potentially in the future uh in the near future i guarantee whether it's cia fbi dhs whatever it is you tick off this guy you're going to turn off the government spigot really fast so i hope it's just a money thing and i hope that it's you know billy feels that he has to go to him uh, I think we have some bit of hope in that Billy takes out the gun and kind of has it at the ready as he steps into the SUV with uh, with Agent Orange there. But I suppose there's a worse end. There's a worse end that Anvil money came from somewhere and it wasn't yeah. from a friendly loan. It could have been from pushing horse, you know, from Afghanistan to, to the U.S. In 
you know, KIA bodies, which makes it even more nefarious. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I like that you bring up the point about the gun. We don't know is, is that protection against agent orange? Is that protection against Frank? Is it just the, the affectation of a gun, whatever it is? Um, how about the foreshadowing at the beginning of this episode with Frank's, uh, hallucination, the, uh, the, um, Thanksgiving dinner, right? It wasn't Thanksgiving dinner or was it just a dinner? I think what was falling, I couldn't tell whether they were leaves, no, leaves or whether they were But they were supposed turkeys. to look like hands. Yeah. You know, the symbolism of that too. You know, everybody's made the old hand turkey, okay? Um, but the symbolism of, of hands coming down, um, yeah. And, you know, both Frank Jr. and Zach act in a particular way in that scene, foreshadowing that. Maybe. I mean, there's no question that this show is operating at a high level. Uh, you know, it's not quite, the story does not quite demand, you know, the mystery box of Westworld, of Lost, of, of the JJ stuff. Um, but that's not to say that you can't have some foreshadowing in there. And, you know, I mean, it's a rough scene all around in an episode that's rough to watch. Yeah, for certain. And I think that as it's presented, particularly the jump cuts, the the soldiers coming in, the masks, everything like that, he sees himself in these soldiers. There's that feeling that it should be idyllic, but at the same time, it's it's not quite right. And it, it's sold in the in the way that it's shot, in the way that it's paced. It's particularly unnerving coming out of you know if you were just to end that previous episode where he's iv'd and all right i'm gonna take care of you frank oh you're gonna be all right spook micro we're gonna we're gonna you know buddy this thing all the way through and boom disturbing uh hallucination sequence because he's in septic shock yeah um i mean it it definitely i think set the mood for this episode and by the end it's all too real this is not a hallucination this is not a drill billy is buddied up with uh william rollins well here's a, a theory question for you or, or at least an update to a theory this this portion at the end where it appears frank is perhaps saying goodbye to sarah uh, we know that he does not ultimately get on the boat of course still some sizzle there i mean pete i'm not i'm not so. I'm not trying to say so. I'm not trying to say a, a a a single woman widowed or not. I'm not trying to say she's necessarily you know looking to take things for the, to the next level if she invites a, a man in and has a glass. Nor of wine does she need a man. Let's let's dispel that. Um, although certainly Zach's behavior just cries out for a positive male role model. Um, you know, my best man, uh, who was um, I was his best man. Uh, his mother committed suicide when we were in fifth grade and he kind of became a a member of my family, still had his father, still had his uh, sister and his brother. Um, but you know, he kind of became a member of my family and he thinks of my mom as, as a surrogate mom for him and how important it is for, um, a boy to have, you know, a mother, I think it's just as important for a boy to have a father 
or at that positive male uh, figure, I mean, if it's a same sex marriage, there's no father, then, you know, a teacher, uh, you know, a neighbor of that gender is going to be important the same way, vice versa. Um, and with Sarah here, I think that's absolutely on the page. It's sold even more in the subtext of um, she believes her husband is dead. He knows her husband isn't dead. So it's, you know, what's what's the old thing? You know, you want you want uh, people interested. You, you, you treat them like you don't care. So Frank is treating her that way, uh, although he's a lonely person. And there you go. It, it does sizzle uh, on the screen. And every time Micro is there to have to watch it. And those shots of micro intercut, to me, that almost makes it. Because just on the evidence, look, if Sarah's having a glass of wine and this friendly guy, maybe it's just friends, maybe she's noting he's a handsome fellow, whatever. She's not, you know, she's acting how she wants to act. Frank continues to be a gentleman. Ooh, may I sit? Hey, you may smack me in the mouth if I say this. You know, the implication being if he crosses a line, say something. If he says something that's too much, yell at him. Um, but then those shots of micro just wide eyed, his own privacy being invaded, even though he's not yeah. there. I mean, this is, this is complex storytelling and, and without the, the, the wonderful beloved, and I'm no way trying to denigrate it, but the, the tools that agents of shield used last season to get, you know, sci-fi wacky complexity, complex metaphor. That's one set of tools this is a much more pared down way. I'm not saying it's necessarily better or worse, but they're sticking to reality here and they don't have mm -hmm. fun squid animation or alternate brain computer reality. It's just right. these people that are, that, are, that are in transit in life and trapped in their own pain. The tone of this show is so very, very different from all of those other shows. Um, you know, we watch Runaways and I see some parallels with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Runaways, um, just in the way, in the tone, um, in, in the way they move with some of the topics. This is the, the most, and I mean this in a positive way, not in a negative way, like those other shows are immature, but this is a mature, um, really serious comic book tv show in a way that i can't think matt of another one this super serious yes yeah, certainly uh, the other marvel netflix shows have had serious aspects to them and that's not to take away from the exploration of uh, of sexual assault in jessica jones uh gender issues in jessica jones uh the minority experience african-american experience in luke cage but humor is such a big part of those two other shows yeah, yeah lightning balancing that is so important what balances out punisher to this point that we have podcast is you know the dark moments of you know the, the raid at, at Gunner's home or, uh, you know, what went on with uh, Madani down by the docks to now the, um, you know, all right, we, we have the answers of what we're uh, looking for. We're moving forward. You know, the, it's those small victories. 
Well, this continues to just be a, a delight to watch and a, a delight to dig into intellectually uh, because it is exploring those issues. And, uh, and I'm glad we're all along for the ride, Pete. The same delight, Matt, and the even greater delight, one might say, are the good people who head to patreon.com slash fantastic geek who are able to help us keep the lights and the bandwidth and everything else running around here at this time of year. We're basically running out of Micro's garage, but we're making it sound like sound like it's a it's a DHS operation. So we thank all of you who do help us out there. But of course, Pete, always on the Twitter radio, always willing to call back. <laughs> they say, "Are you out there, PT?" You say, "Yes, I am." It's yes. It's it's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 9,654 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word. Like it today. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast, we will be back in the next 48 hours to talk not one episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kicking off the fifth season. If you're listening to us on the Punisher Podcast feed, Pete, when next do we talk about Frank and Micro, etc.? We will be bringing you episode 107 on Sunday, uh, the 3rd of December. And of course, the party continuing there next week, Runaways, Punisher, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and on and on it goes. There Also, there's a Space Wars movie in a couple weeks I think we're going to check out. A couple other people might be checking that out, too. So, always an exciting time. With that, Pete, I will say, because that's the sound of me, you know, turning off the radio and give you the final word. The only way out is through. <laughs>